This summer I was sweating over, okay, what's, what, what series do I do after the book of Acts? Because I was enjoying Acts. I was going to try to, you know, drag it out a little further. But um, the, uh, I, I decided that we'd talk about hope. I didn't know how relevant that was going to be. Because the road that Susan and I have been on over the last seven weeks now has been one that needs hope. So I have learned that there is more to hope than what you can read. Even when you read the books, it's got to go in here before it helps anybody, right? So I've been collecting stories and all that kind of stuff like preachers do, and you need good illustrations and so forth. And so I ran across this illustration. So you're going to have to forgive me a little bit because, well, you'll find out. The story goes that there was this man who had two sons. And he was a wealthy man, and, and he was trying to help his sons. And, and one of his sons was a pessimist. N nothing ever went right. Whatever happened, he couldn't get his son to have any kind of joy or hope or anything. The other son was the exact opposite. He was such an optimist that, that he just, you know, he was bouncing all over the place, and, and he never saw a bad thing. He was just full of optimism, you know. And, and, and so the father said, decided one one Christmas, he was going to teach his sons the, the lesson of the opposite side. And so for his pessimistic son, he filled his room with toys and expensive items and everything the kid wanted was, was in there, you know. I mean, he, he packed his room with, with the toys like you just can't believe, you know. Toys are his instead of toys are us. And, and you, you get the, the other son, he decided that he packed his room with horse manure, floor to ceiling. And, and, and after Christmas, the pessimistic son came out of his room, and, and, the son, and the dad says, man, didn't you have a great Christmas? And he says, oh, no. He says, that was terrible. It was a bad Christmas. And he said, well, didn't you, didn't you see all the toys? Ah, I saw all the toys. He said, didn't you open them? He said, no, no. If I opened them, they'd just break. Pretty soon he heard his other son scrounging around in his room and he came and burst open the door and he headed out the door and he was just covered head to foot with the contents of the room. And he said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to find a shovel. A shovel? What do you need a shovel for? I know there's a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> and I got to thinking, man, there's hope, isn't it? No, that's not hope at all. You see, hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not optimism. Hope is something much deeper than that. It's, it's something that's attached to something that's more substantial than that. James puts it this way. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen the outcome the Lord brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And you say, well, that verse doesn't mean hope. Yeah, it does. Because in the biblical language, in the biblical vocabulary, hope in the Old Testament is always attached to either waiting or endurance. One or the other. Hope produces waiting and endurance. And it comes across in James. He, he's telling you the same thing. Perseverance. 
What got Job through? How did he persevere? Because of where he put his hope. And as you begin to think about the Lord's full of compassion and, and what hope and perseverance is, I, I want to suggest to you that, that faith holding on to God's purpose and his promises is what produces hope. Hope comes because of faith. Love and faith go together. You know, back when I was in high school, they'd come up with a new curriculum of science. Nobody had ever really talked about it much before. They, they kind of, you know, back in the 60s, started talking about this thing called ecology. And nobody really knew what it was until they started. It, it, it's, it's how complex systems go together and how they are all interrelated and how one thing feeds another and how life depends on this balance of, of forces. And, and I got to thinking, that's, that's Bible. That, that's the way Hebrews look at life. And, and, and so I, I got to thinking, well, you know, Paul talks about that question. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Right there it is in one sentence, faith, hope, and love. It all goes together. Why is that important? Because it, incre it creates the environment. 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope, and love abide remain. It's the environment in which Christianity flourishes. It's the environment in which we become more like Jesus. It's, it's what God wants to bring into the world. A, a, a group of people who are marked by and who are, who are demonstrating visibly faith, hope, and love. It boils down to that. All the doctrines we have are there to protect that. And sometimes we get all fired up in the doctrines and we get fighting each other and we lose the faith, hope, and love and people look at us and say, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because we're over here in all of our thoughts and we're fighting. If we're really following the Lord, what's going to happen? Faith, hope, and love. That's what Paul looks for in a church. That's what he looks for in a life. And as we look at it and we understand it, we, we begin to, to understand why he goes on and, 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 and talks to the Colossians about his prayer for them. He said, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. I want to stop right there. You can read the rest of the passage for yourself. I want you to understand. Faith, hope, and love are not these ethereal concepts. They are practical realities. They impact your life. They mark your life. And the kind of life that follows Jesus is going to be growing in those three qualities. Does that make sense? Your life is where faith, hope, and love becomes visible. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Wow. Paul, you just 
done quit preaching and done gone to meddling right there. Because he says, it's not just how we think about love. It's not how we think about faith. It's not how we think about hope. It's how we live it. Living hope. And sometimes I think we think when we take that phrase, we say living hope, we think about hope that's living, right? No. It's hope that lives in you, that changes you, that you grab a hold of, that gives you perseverance when things are hurting. We talked about that a little bit last week. And so as you look at Paul's prayer for them, then drop down a little bit in Colossians. I hope you have your Bible open. Because as we drop down, he's going to talk about what hope, faith, and love has done for these people at Colossae. What's the practical impact? Look at their past. I mean, God could pick out the good folks to bring into the church, right? I mean, there, there's so many of us that have got it all right. Oh, come on, that was funny. Now, as, 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 you, as you look at it, look where he starts. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds and, in your minds and expressed your evil actions. Wow. You were alienated and hostile in your minds and you expressed that in evil actions. What has God got to start with? Hostile in your minds. Hostile in your minds. Hmm. But now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him. Look what he did. Look what he did. He took people that didn't deserve it and gave them something beyond what they could create for themselves. That's what's going on here. And as you think about the past, you could probably relate to that. There's probably been times in your life that you were alienated and expressed evil expressions in your actions. Maybe I'm the only one here, right? I, I, I did it, I confess. What does that lead to? If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. There it is again. Faith and hope. Not shifted away from the hope. What's he talking about? If we do this, we get that? No, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, if you're living in faith and hope, this is what's going to come out. This is, this is the blessing that lies in the if right here. If this is where you're living, this is what you have. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I have become this body servant, his body servant, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, if Christ is in us, does that become visible? It does, doesn't it? 
That's his point. And as long as Christ is in us, we are being changed into his likeness. That's the hope of glory. Christ in you. It's not you and you. It's not you figuring it out. It's, it's Christ in you. By faith. Okay, now then, we got a big problem. What does that mean? What's faith? Well, I've heard all kinds of explanations. Some of them, I think, are a little off target. Faith is not Yoda. Being able to manipulate the force to get what you want. That's not faith. The Bible does never ever say, you know, faith it into existence. Faith doesn't bring it into existence. It brings the existence of what's good into you. That's different. And so as I as I try to explore faith, I've got to understand. Faith is not the force. I, I don't get a hold of some faith and make things happen. Sometimes I've heard faith explained as almost it's me and God and faith, and if I can just get a hold of some faith, I can make God do what I want him to do. It doesn't work like that. I don't know if you guys haven't found that out yet, but it doesn't work like that. That's not life. In fact, when Paul got a hold of faith, what did he get? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Wait a minute. I thought if you had faith, you got good stuff. Paul says, I did. I got sufferings for you. I love you so much it hurts. That's kind of a surprise, isn't it? That's not what we want. We'd rather have a God that somehow we can control and we can get a formula. You know, if I go to church, 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 and sing and pray and God will do. Have you figured it out? That doesn't work. You can never be good enough to get God to do what you want Him to do. Because you're not in charge. I know that's bad news. But the good news is, you're not in charge. You see it? And so, as I think of the hope of glory and I think of what faith is, I want to turn to Hebrews and, and see what the Hebrew writer says. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what is not yet visible, what we can't see yet, what hasn't happened yet. Faith is, is the assurance that what has not happened yet will happen. Because God said so. Watch faith. Faith is the deep belief that God is who he says he is and will do what he promises. Now you can hold on to that, can't you? You see, it's not about results. It's not about me being able to manipulate God. It's about me believing that God is who he says he is in Jesus and he will do And it will happen. Now, in Hebrews 11, the problem is that everybody mentioned in Hebrews 11 does not get to see the promise. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? 
There's 2,000 years of history in Hebrews chapter 11. And it ends with saying they didn't see the promise. Not the fulfillment of the promise. Because the fulfillment of the promise was Jesus. That's the whole point. They didn't get to see it. But they still believed. They still followed the hope that's in Israel. Let me give you an example. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built the ark to save his family. Now, have you ever... Uh, a guy told me the other day, I, it just blew me away. He said, you know, it's not as if Noah looked out and said, Lord, the world is, 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 is rotten, and you need to do something about this. And we're just going to believe that you do it. And you're going to do something about this. And so, in order to show you our faith, we're going to go out here and build a boat because I think it's going to rain. You're going to make it rain. And you're going to kill all these people. Now, wait a minute. Is God responding to Noah or is Noah responding to God? Which one? Noah is responding to what God said. God is who he is and will do what he promises. And Noah says, uh-oh, I better go build a boat. Because God says, I'm going to fix this place. Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Faith. Noah, Abraham hears and he goes. Have you noticed that those two go together in every one of the stories? There's always hearing, responding. Faith is a verb. Faith is action. He walked a thousand miles. Noah built a boat and shoveled a... a well, I won't go through everything. You had to see what Noah went through to do what God wanted him to do. He responded. So now then, I think hope is faith based on the promises of God and the purpose of God. That's where hope comes from. When faith attaches to God's plan and his promise. So let's look at it. Peter says it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Hope. Faith impacts life. Love impacts life. It is the ecology of the kingdom. It's how Jesus becomes visible in our world because he brings life that's not like any other life. Life through the knowledge of him. And so, as I think about it, let's look at the promises. I'm not going to give you verses for all of these. I can. I've got them written down. 
This is basically, I don't know if you've seen Max Cicado brought out his new book. Just in time for this sermon series, by the way. I called him up and said, you know, no, I didn't. As, as, you, as you, you, you read the book, and I recommend it, he talks about 12 promises. There's more than 12. But he focuses in on these 12. You're made in the image of God. If you really believe that, how does that impact you and how you treat other people who are also made in the image of God? Doesn't that change things? That's his promise. You're made in the image of God. Satan is defeated. You're co-heirs with Christ. Prayer connects to God. Humility is rewarded. Christ prays for you. He promises. No more condemnation. Mercy and grace will be provided in time of need. Death is not the end. Joy is stronger than sorrow. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. God will make all things right. You can trust Him. He'll set it right. Now, I don't know about you, but if you hang on to those promises, if I hang on to those promises, it changes life. It gives me a foundation that says, I don't care how mad I hurt. I don't care how bad this world is messed up. I don't care what the latest news report says about so-and-so and so-and-so and and how, who got... It didn't make any difference. In the end of things, it all boils down to what Jesus is doing in you and in this place among us. And if we get that right, the rest of it will settle itself out. Because I'll I'll, I'll give you one of his purposes here in just a minute that will help you. Because... He talks about his purpose. His purpose. Perseverance. You have seen the outcome the Lord brought. Outcome. That's one of those words, telos. Telos, the outcome. The end. And as you look at the end that he brings about, his purpose, sometimes it's talked about in terms of his will. God's will. And we talk a lot about God's will. If it's God's will, if it's God's will, what is his will? Well, there's a couple of places that he makes it very clear. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him, them up on the last day. God's will is that you believe in the Son, that you have life in the Son. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's purpose, the outcome he wants in your life, is that you rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. I thought his will was for us to straighten things out. No. In fact, I'm going to show you in just a minute something different. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. How do you know what God's will is? Through the transformation. That's how you see it. Christ's hope living in you. 
helps you find God's will. Helps you do God's will. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. That would change the world. Wouldn't it? That's God's will, is that we don't abuse and use each other for our own purposes. That's God's will. You don't hear a lot about that one anymore these days, but it's there. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Wow! You mean I can't straighten them out on Twitter? I can't write the Facebook post of all times to silence the argument? No. You're right. She's got it right. You can't. Good one. I'll give you that quarter later. As as you think about it, look what look what silences foolish people is integrity in your life. Isn't it? Consistency. That's God's will. God's will is that we do something in this life that is so good that other people can't say, that's bad. That's just bad. Isn't that true? I believe that. And I know Peter believed it because he made a theme out of it over and over and over. Let me summarize it this way. God's goal, his purpose, is to rub away anything that is not of him so his image can be seen in us. That's his purpose. To rub away, take away from us, take out of our lives everything. Now that can be a painful process because there's some things in there we'd really like to hold on to. Isn't there? I mean, I would really like to hold on to the ability to tell you guys what to do and expect to be obeyed. But it's not up to me. I didn't even take care of my own stuff sometimes. You see, it's about us looking to God to do that in our lives, to take the things out of our lives that keeps us from looking like Jesus. Now, I got news for you. That's not a comfortable process. It's not. He is building our lives on his promises. His word is unbreakable, so our hope is unshakable. We do not stand on the problems of life. We stand in God's great purpose and on his precious promises. That's what hope's based on. That's what we hold on to. When life doesn't make sense, we hold on in faith because faith allows us to hope 
and hopeful faith allows us to love. It all goes together. And that's what's essential. That's the bottom line. That's the core. Living hope. Living faith. Living love. Not that they live themselves. They do. But they live in you. That's the purpose.